You'll join me in prayer. Almighty Father Yahweh, the, our great creator, the one who gives us every breath we breathe, we thank you for your guidance, teaching us your word, that we might take it to others, that they might learn and also honor you. You are the power of the universe. You are the answer to all our prayers. Let us never forget that we can take all of our trials and tribulations to you and that you will show us the way, the right way that you have commanded in your word. So we, And we pray that you'll continue to guide us as we strive to learn more of your word. And when we're at a loss to understand that you will give us that understanding so that we might be true to you in all we do. We thank you for your guidance and we pray that you continue to be with us this service, that it would be a, a time of eye-opening and maybe a time of reformation in our own lives. So this prayer and petition ask, we ask in Yasha's name. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. Welcome all and welcome to those who are visiting. Glad to have you here. Welcome to the, perhaps the new visitors online that uh, are just tuning in for the first time. Got a question for you. Who is this? I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward Elohim as you all are this day. Well, as you can tell by the title, this is Paul. Actually, I didn't have Paul in the original title, but uh, gave you a big, big clue there. This is Acts 22.3. I'm going to be speaking mostly out of Acts today. Of all the writers of the Bible, none has been more misunderstood than the Apostle Paul. I once heard a minister who had to keep answering the same questions people have. They don't understand some things that Paul might have written. And he said, if I'm blessed to be in the kingdom, I got a bone to pick with Paul. But this apostle who is responsible for more than half of the New Testament has in the eyes of most Bible believers greater statue in the New, stature in the New Testament than anyone else, including sometimes you'd get the idea of the Savior himself. Traditional worship sees the Apostle Paul as almost single-handedly pulling the faith from its Old Testament roots and transplanting it into a New Testament environment that's free of regulations, free of obligations. And because many ascribe to the no law, no obedience narrative, they like to ignore the books like James and Hebrews that seem to counterdict a lot of Paul's writings in many ways. But we all know, what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. All scripture. doesn't matter who, Paul, Peter, James, John, uh, Moses, Isaiah, whatever, is given by inspiration of Yahweh and is profitable for teaching, says doctrine, for reproof and for correction in righteousness. How can you argue with such plain words? But yet people will argue. They'll argue. 
How can scripture say one thing in one place and then contradict itself in another? When Yahweh inspired it all, can you imagine Yahweh contradicting himself? But on the flip side, contrary to some beliefs, Paul deniers will say that he is not legitimate, that that he uh, you can't trust his writings because they don't agree with what he might say. And, you know, it's the backwards look at the Bible. It's what I think, and I'll twist the Bible to make it appear to say what I think. Peter calls Paul's letters scripture. You can't deny it. He's true to the word. He's true to Yahweh in many different ways. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. Acts 9.10 is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the master in a vision, meaning Yahshua, talking in a vision, in a dream. Ananias, arrive and, and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Master, I've heard by many of this man, he's not too excited about him, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. How many times we find his name mentioned in the Bible, and yet people ignore his name. Paul's vile reputation of attacking the saints was basically his burden to endure the rest of his life. How often have you done something in your pre-baptismal days, and it follows you the rest of your life? You're thinking about it all the time. Am I forgiven of that? Will I be forgiven? Is it going to keep me from the kingdom? Even though, of course, Yahweh forgives sin, it still haunts us in some ways. And this is what Paul obviously had to work with. Things he did. I mean, he did things, (laughs) serious stuff. We'll talk about that too. But in answer to Ananias, we read, but the master said unto Ananias, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. There's that name again, the namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on Paul said, Brother Saul, the master, even Yahshua, that appeared unto thee, in a way, as thou camest, hath sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he could see. He could see again. And he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So if it's Yahweh's will, no matter what we might think about it, we do it. How many people? virtually ignore the commands of Yahweh because it doesn't fit their plan. It's not in their lifestyle to keep the feast, to go and keep feast for eight days or 
uh, the Sabbath. They've got too many things they want to do on the Sabbath. Also, Acts 18.9, Then spake Yahweh to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not your peace. For I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you, for there are many of my people in this city. He said, Paul, let it go. Let it all out. Teach what you need to be teaching, what I've shown you. Paul is usually seen as an iconoclast who taught grace over obedience, love over law, faith over works. And it just isn't so when you understand him. But Paul was proud of his training under Gamaliel, the great priest and lawyer who taught him the law as, and its meaning and how it applies to lives. This Gamaliel is still respected today by Jewish scholars. The Talmud, as a matter of fact, written between the years 200 and 600 of the Common Era, says, since the Rabban Gamaliel died, the glory of the law has ceased. Must have been a great teacher. And once he's gone, who's to teach it? Also, over a span of three years, he also learned directly from the risen Messiah while he was in Arabia. Can you imagine that? Joshua, in his spiritual body, comes to him and teaches him the word. Teaches him directly from Joshua. How can we deny that Paul is inspired, that Paul is true blue? When we've got these witnesses, even our Savior, saying that he taught him. Now, in his defense before Felix in Acts 24, 14, to the charge that he undermined the law, because that was the charge that he was always accused of, he says, but this I confess unto you, that after the way that they call heresy, so worship I the Elohim of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. All things written in the what? The law and the prophets. Believing all things. Believing is the Greek, pistiou, and it means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in. Well, if you don't believe in the law, you're not going to do any of those things when it comes to the law. Doesn't sound much like a man who detests Yahweh's word, does it? Or a man who just couldn't wait to tell all the scattered assemblies up there in Macedonia, oh, you don't have to worry about the law. You'll have Jews coming by and telling you to keep, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All you need is grace and faith. Or a man who just couldn't wait to uh, take the word to these people, establish assemblies wherever he went, and get them to get on the right track, and then have to go back and reteach them, like people in Corinth who got way off, and teach them again what they're supposed to be doing as people and as an assembly. Some have claimed that Paul should be understood as the second founder of Christianity after Yahshua. But without the common practice of wildly misinterpreting Paul, the many popular but spurious doctrines and traditions we see today would likely not have materialized. So how could he be the founder of of things that they're saying that he didn't teach and believe? The popular teaching is that this Jew came to wrest the new faith from the clutches of its Hebrew roots and to give it a westernized, Grecianized flair and flavor to be free of legal obligations and to let people make the Savior Yahshua into their own image, into the way they want to look at him, into the way they like to see him. It's a notion that Paul denied soundly 
And yet, how can you gloss over it when you read it? Paul is the one typically used in an effort to emasculate the New Testament mandates. He's the one that they turn to. And yet, he says over and over again, that's not me. I didn't teach that. And we'll look at that in a minute. Turn to Romans 8.17. What does Paul say here about the evangel? Does he stop at the resurrection or does he continue on teaching? And the rest they just make up as they go. But churchianity stops at the resurrection. And the rest they just make up as they go. Here Paul writes that the children of Elohim are joint heirs with Messiah. If you're an heir, you're in a family that becomes part of a family and that uh, receives the benefits of the family and is accepted into the family. And the children then heirs, heirs of Elohim and joint heirs with Messiah, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's, that's uh, Paul's writings. In Romans 4.13, Paul says that Abraham was promised to be an heir of the world through righteousness, through obedience, through the righteousness of his faith. And what of today's faithful? Well, Galatians 3.29, and if you be Messiah, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise given to him? You inherit what he was promised if you're, if you're an heir. Revelation 20.12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before him. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. How? How? How were they judged? It says, according to their works, according to what they did in this life. We're building that life now. And hopefully it's, you know, we're on the right track in following the word. And hopefully we're living it and our works are showing it. But this is how we believe. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, the grave, delivered up the dead which were in them, And they were judged, every man, according to, again, their works. Their works. You only have one shot at this life. And if you start off on the wrong foot, Yahweh will forgive you, but you've got to get back on the right track. How we live our lives today will impact both how we are judged and our future in the kingdom. Make your life count. Your hand is on the plow, and you can't look back. Once you go, you go all the way. You don't stop. Serve Yahweh. Don't let up. Never back off. The price is just too high. Well, back to the man from Tarsus. Other than our Savior, Yahshua, no one in the Bible personifies the, the uh, true faith and strength of an overcomer as, as this man does. And you, you look at what he went through. I mean, he wasn't paid big salary to do what he did he didn't come to you know come to a pulpit once a week give an hour or less sermon and then go home that's it he gets paid pretty well for that Paul never got paid for that he did take from some assemblies so that he could survive so he could eat but that was it he's like Yahshua said I don't even have a place to lay my head No one in the Bible is truer, I think, to the faith and strength of an overcomer as this man is. He's an incredible study in contrast. 
a persecutor of the assembly early on, he did bad things to the believers early on, and he became the staunchest defender of the faith later in the next chapter of his life. Talk about a flip-flop. His testimony to the fact that contemptible behavior can be overcome. Former sins can be forgiven. The apostle had just the right stuff Yahweh wanted. You never would suspect that Yahweh would choose this guy. This guy that's out there to, to kill the faith, basically. Literally, killing brethren, as well as hauling them off to prison. And yet Yahweh says, that's the one I want to bring the truth to the world. When he repented, he was entirely different man. Entirely different. Yahweh knew So let's consider a little bit about the life and work of this man. He came to understand the truth and purpose that few have through his sufferings. A prophet named Agabus in Acts 21.10 had warned Paul that if he went to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound and taken before the Gentiles, and obviously bad things are going to happen to him, maybe even death. His amazing response in verse 13 of Acts 21, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? See how much his heart was totally involved in his work. You're going to break my heart if you say I shouldn't go. For I am ready not only to be bound, they can tie me up if they want to, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Yahshua the Messiah. That's how strong he was and resolute, how driven he was to teach the word. To short, short, short circuit, Paul's mission would break his heart. Here was a believer so driven by the goal of teaching the truth, what was right to those who were searching, to those he loved, that he said it broke his heart to tell him not to go and possibly be murdered for that truth. He said, I'm, you know, if, if only we had that kind of resolve. Think about it. What if we had that kind of resolve, had no fears, would go and say, well, if I die, I die. But I'm going to go. Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the assembly and wasted it. Here he is, confession. Total confession. He wasn't proud of it. In fact, he hated his past. But he wasn't hiding it. This conversion of an individual is nothing less than a total miracle. But why him? Could his background of persecution been a catalyst that made him an even better evangelist? Think about it. Think about it. If you had this as your, as your history in your life, this was what you had been doing your life, and you're told to flip it around and promote what you have been trying to destroy. Don't you think that in the back of Paul's mind were always those dirty deeds of his former living, former life, that he presumably killed saints in his pre-conversion days, and that was this knowledge that helped drive him to do even more, to make maybe even make up for it, to work at it, to try to erase it in Yahweh's eyes. But, you know, Yahweh forgave him, of course, but but just to... Wish she could throw that off, and maybe the only way I can do it is to do the best I can now with what I understand. 
to make atonement, to make amends by being that much more zealous. I have to believe that was behind part of his motivation. You have to believe it was. It was this driving force that helped him. If I go to Jerusalem and die, and I die because anybody, anyway, I deserve it for what I did. I deserve a lot more. It's entirely logical. I'll happily go out in a blaze of glory because that is what I deserve in the first place. In other words, this man had nothing to lose and everything to gain by turning to Yahweh and doing his will. The turning point in Paul's life was his spectacular conversion. He actually saw and heard Yahshua on the road to Damascus as he was on his way to arrest more believers. From Yahshua the Messiah himself, Paul received his commission. I can think of no person in scripture other than Yahshua who suffered more intensely than the man Paul. Yeah, you know, Job had it rough, but it didn't, it's not like it lasted many, many years. He had to go through trials, but his trials seemed to be condensed in a briefer time than Paul's. You can suffer on many levels for the sake of the truth. You can suffer physically. You can suffer spiritually, emotionally. We get calls from people all the time. My spouse doesn't believe what I believe, and it's really, I don't know what to do. I'm really hurting. I can't seem to practice my faith because my spouse or my friend or my doesn't want me to. My children, what do I do? How do I live? How do I live for Yahweh? They're threatened with divorce. What do I do? We suffer for our faith. Sometimes you have to make known what you experience. And Paul reviews his life ministry in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So am I. Are they ministers of Messiah? I speak like a fool. I am more in laborers, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. They knew that the law that the Jews had to follow was that they, they couldn't go past 40 lashes. So they stopped at 39. This happened to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's caning. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Natural disaster. You know, we're not always free of natural disaster. We have to suffer with the world sometimes. A night and a day I've been in the deep, been in the water, treading water, or holding on to a little piece of scrap from the ships for 24 hours. In journeys, often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. That last one really hurts. False brethren that turn on you. You put your trust and faith in and they turn on you. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. This is what the man had to endure. Besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the assemblies that kept going kittywampus. I had to straighten them out all the time. Who is weak and I'm not weak? You don't think I'm weak too? 
who is uh, offended, and I burn not. I don't think brethren oftentimes realize the hurt they put on other brethren by the things they might say or do. Paul got hurt many times. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. I'll glory in my weaknesses, he says. There has never been a minister of Yahweh who has had more to overcome and to deal with than this man here. On top of it all, they misconstrued what he said. How about that? He can't even get through to them with the truth. They botched his message. That's the worst part. Can you think of anybody today who could handle this? Keep going. Without the spirit, there would be no one. No one could do it. But Yahweh gives us his spirit to help us, to give us the understanding and the ability to continue on. Well, lest you think we are done looking at this man's problems, think again. We're not done. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. You think I should go out and brag about myself? I'm just telling you how it is. Should I be exalted by people because of what I've done? No. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I have a tendency for braggadocio, so Yahweh keeps me in check. What was it? I believe it was his eyesight. We'll get into that in a minute. But this thing I besought Messiah three times, that it might depart from me, but it wasn't. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He wants a humble servant. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Messiah may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. You know, have you ever, when you go out and fast, you fast and you get humble by your fasting. It gives you spiritual strength. When you're all done, you feel cleansed inside. You feel better. You feel like you can face another day if you're dealing with problems. He says, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses for Messiah's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. On top of it all, he had a physical ailment, probably an eye defect, that prayer three times wasn't resolving. I don't know, maybe it's too many rocks to the head. I don't know, maybe it was blind, being blind on the road to Damascus and knocked off his camel or whatever. So on top of it all, he carried out his ministry with a physical handicap. And that's a big one. When you can't see right, that's a big one. He suffered more than most believers ever will, but in his sufferings, he learned a lesson very few people will learn. That Yahweh's strength is made perfect in weakness. This implies that human wisdom, wealth, fame, strength generally hinder spiritual development. Suffering is a lot of is the lot of all mankind, you know, believers included. We suffer like other people. We don't face a a better, uh, easier, I should say, life than most anybody else. The difference is that. A true believer suffers. He has the comforting assurance of Yahweh of knowing that there is a divine purpose 
And one day it'll, it will end. And one day we shall be fully understanding why Yahweh allowed us to do these things, go through these things, to experience trials. It's so easy to complain when suffering strikes home and family, but before you begin to complain, think about 2 Timothy 2, 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yea, and all that will live righteously in Messiah shall suffer persecution. Paul left thousands of years heritage and letters that have impacted for thousands of years people and their lives. That most, that, you know, your average poet or scholar could ever, never achieve the impact. He documented for future generations the, the greatest truths the human mind has been privileged to ponder. He analyzed human motives, examined the spiritual, the meaning of repentance, mercy, faith, obedience, grace, humility. He looked at all of that in his writings. He showed us the weakness and strengths of both individuals as well as assemblies. Paul's letters are often difficult to understand, and some believe he swept away all the need to obey. Make it easy, just wipe away all the things that Yahweh has commanded us to do. But by his own testimony, he did nothing of the sort. It'd be the last thing he would do. Again, he was trained by the best college professor probably almost ever in the law, Gamaliel. Why would he turn his back on it when he even persecuted uh, others for not keeping it? But Paul, you see, is, is graduate school. You have to come up to his level to understand the difficult things he sometimes wrote. And that's why people don't like Paul, because it seems like he contradicts the word, and he doesn't. But they have to understand what he's writing and why he's writing it. On top of that, <laughs> you know, it, it seems like whenever a translation comes into English, we got problems. And that you look at the English text, and there are so many things that are not clear. Now, the King James is pretty good. It's, it's pretty li- literal uh, translation. And if you compare it with the Hebrew and the Greek, it's pretty, pretty well on. But there were things, some things added by the translators that should have been added or twisted or they thought should have been corrected, and it only made it worse. So we can't blame Paul uh, as much as we can others who came along later. It's like school where each grade builds on the previous one. You learn more and more and more. You can understand more and more. You can't do algebra unless you learn how to add and subtract. He went deeper than most in explaining spiritual concepts, but he never contradicted the message of Yahshua, the rest of the scriptures. And no way did he intend to put his writings above the rest of the writings of the word. Why would he come along and denounce all of the teachings that he had learned? And he never said, oh, by the way, what I learned at the feet of Gamaliel has has really been changed now because we're now in the New Covenant, the New Testament. Never said a word about that. In fact, he supported it. So the things they call heresy, so worshipped by the Elohim, my fathers, believing all things in the law and the prophets, the Old Testament the prophets, and the word. 
Even Peter said Paul's writings would be difficult to understand. He said in Second uh, Peter 3.15, an account that our long-suffering, the long-suffering of our brother, ah, try that again, an account that the long-suffering of our master is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given him, has written unto you. So he's writing to us, given us instruction, and also in all his epistles, speaking in, of them in these things, which are some things hard to be understood. Even Peter had a little problem. What are, you, are you really saying what I'm thinking, Paul? Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You got to have some learning in scripture before you can interpret Paul right. You got to be stable in your beliefs and stable in your understanding to interpret him right. Yea, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, there's a warning. Watch it. Watch it when they start attacking Paul or start misusing Paul. Unlearned and unstable, two characteristics that mark those who cause most of the problems today. They're either low information students or unstable or spiritually not quite there. They come along with some teaching they just discovered on the internet and they blast it all over the world and there's a certain percentage that will believe it even though they've only been in the Bible like two years or less and don't really understand what they're talking about. Happens all the time. Lunar Sabbath is one of them. We'll, we'll, we'll establish our Sabbath by the moon. When Yahweh established it before the moon was even set in place on the fourth day. He established it back in Genesis. Chapter 1. But this is what they teach and people. We still get hit with this. I don't, and I don't blame the people that are thrown by it because they just, they never heard this. and They, they want to know, is this right? So suddenly these guys are experts. They know about the subject more about it than all the elders who've been studying this topic all their lives. Ordained teachers who have plumbed the depths of the Hebrew and the Greek behind the text and have studied all of the alternative opinions and have proved them flawed. But they know all. They know better. And proved it from Scripture. They proved the contradictions and inconsistencies and the error. You know, new teachings have to be peer-reviewed. And we even find that what Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 16, 17. Let no man judge you in meat or in drink and offering uh, or holy day, but the brethren, the assembly, let them because they know. Don't let somebody tell you that the holy days are done away or, you know, they've been changed and altered into uh, man's days or something like that. He said, no. The people who know are the ones who have studied these things. There are too many listening to self-appointed experts, and the result is that the corporate body of believers continues to be fragmented. They chase after this teaching. They chase after that teaching. Mountains of contradictory teachings are out there have only served to confuse and discourage and turn off would-be truth seekers. It takes a special person to take hold of the truth today. It takes a humble person like Paul 
because it's not even like it was even 25 years ago where people had a sincere interest, more sincere interest in learning and doing what the word instructs. The Bible is losing its influence with each new generation. And that's why when we read in Luke 18.8, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Some say the faith on the earth. Well, I guess it works both ways. So here's a caveat. Be very careful of what you see. Just because it's published on a website or in a tract or a booklet or seen on YouTube doesn't necessarily mean it's totally accurate or even partially accurate. Does not make it automatically legitimate and true. The only thing that proves truth of any teaching is how it harmonizes with the word. And you've got to know the word to see if it harmonizes. That's the only thing you can do. We encourage everyone to prove what we teach. Don't take it because we say it. Prove it. Prove what we, t- we say and not just believe it. Yasha warned over and over not to be deceived. He knew it was coming. And he knew he wasn't talking about just the usual deception going on, you know, forever. He's talking about, or he wouldn't have mentioned it, something even more, even more deceptive, even more deceptions. He wouldn't have mentioned it if it's just simply something that was, you know, constantly there or always uh, a problem. If it had been, it's been uh, stepped up. You know, all too soon we reach the end of the road. The years fly by. We look back on our lives. We think about where we came from, where we're going. And all of a sudden we wake up realization that life has uh, zoomed by. And here we are. For many, it's a time of painful regret, like perhaps Paul. Wasted years, wasted money, wasted opportunities. For others, it's a time to look back and take stock of how we, they have done, just as we've seen Paul do. He goes and reviews his biography. I went through this, this, and this, and I'm not saying it. He says, I'm, I'm a fool. I feel like a fool saying it, but this is true. So it's an example for us, so we can learn by it. We adjust our spiritual odometers every so often, how far we've come. Did we accomplish what we hoped to accomplish? How do we assess our own lives and can we do better the time we have left? Paul in 2 Timothy 4.5 takes an assessment at the end of his life and work and tells us about it. He was equally equipped for his work. It's not his affliction we admire, but how he handled it. That's the greatness that we appreciate. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 We are afflicted on every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah, we've been knocked around pretty hard, he's saying, but we still stand. And we're still ready for Yahshua. Never did Paul blame Yahweh for his afflictions. He never shook his fist at the heavens and said, why did I have to go through this? Why wasn't I not warned about this? Paul viewed whatever happened to him through the eyes of faith. That remarkable trait allowed him to be numbered among the the greats. 
the giants of the faith like Moses, who according to Hebrews 11, left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He had a greater king, Moses did. Pharaoh wasn't going to stop him. Pharaoh wasn't going to intimidate him. I'll go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh can make up his own mind, but he's going to suffer the consequences. He endured the hard times by focusing on the eternal. He used his trials as reminders to focus on things not seen. When your heart is right, you do that. Helps us to endure what otherwise would be unbearable. That's what Paul did. And it kept him strong in troubled times. He had so much to overcome. And part of it, the sad part of it, he brought a lot of it on himself because of his past. But you can't, as my dad used to say, you can't unscramble eggs. Once he got that far, he had to go from there and not look back and sit and moan and groan over what his past was. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Messiah? I have more claim to this title than they. This is a silly game, but look at this list, he says. I have worked harder than any of them. I've served more prison sentences. I've been beaten without number. I've faced death again and again. I've been beaten the regulation 39 stripes by the Jews five times. I have been beaten with rods three times. I have been stoned once. I have been shipwrecked three times and floated for 24 hours in the open ocean. In my travels, I have been in constant danger from rivers and floods, from bandits, from my own countrymen, and from pagans. I have faced danger in city streets, danger in the desert, danger in the high seas, danger among false believers. I have known exhaustion, pain, long vigils, hunger and thirst, doing without meals, cold and lack of clothing. Apart from all these trials that he had to endure. On top of that, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had a thorn in the flesh, and as we said, it was his eyesight. Later on, he talks about how he wrote this letter in large letters. Had to be because he couldn't see very well. So are we in despair because of things that have happened in our our lives? Pressures we've had? If so, you may be exactly where Yahweh wants you to be. He wants you to take stock of your life, change it, and turn to him. That's why we're given trials. To overcome. Rather than typical human reaction of fighting back, just surrender to Yahweh. Tell him you're completely in his hands. If Paul could do it, so can we. So I invite you to think on these things, and hopefully that you can see, as I do, that Paul is a great example of the believer, probably a hyper example, one that we'll probably never see in our lives, but boy, we can sure use his experiences and his, his benefit. May Yahweh bless you.